welcome to episode 83 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hadfield, and we've got a bit of a bumper episode, a six-foot track special this week. So we've managed to get both the winners of the male and female uh, marathons onto the show. So first up, we've got Yoasha Jacheski, uh, and then following her will be Ben Duffus. So some great information from both uh, the champions of six-foot track. Uh, and wedged in between, we're going to have a little chat to Matt from Fractal Performance Running Caps about what they've got going on there, some new uh, new items to have a look at. Uh, make sure you jump onto the website of Fractal and uh, check out the Running Matters discount code for some, uh, some bargains there. Uh, so I'd like to thank our podcast partners, Goo Energy, Fractal Performance Headwear, Sydney Brewery, Guy Allet Health Centre, Base Camp Altitude, Precision Hydration, Ranella and Raid Light. So thanks very much, guys. And make sure you do jump on and grab some of those uh, podcast discounts. But without further ado, we'll get on to our interview with Yoasha. Enjoy. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, Yoasha. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problems at all. Great to catch up. Um, just for the uh, listeners' knowledge, we, we're going to call you Joe Zoom throughout the entire podcast because... My Australian friends can't seem to pronounce Yoasha, so I hope that's okay with you. No, that's fine. I'm used to um, any hesitation. I think it means someone's trying to say my name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very good. Well, congratulations on your six-foot track victory. It's a yeah impressive performance. Um, lucky enough to have both winners on today. So well done. Thank you very much. And, and I, I believe you attempted to run the 2020 six-foot track and. Uh, that's potentially why you're currently marooned in Australia. Can you can you fill us in on what happened there? Yeah, um, I came just over a year ago for a holiday um, and I was going to run the six-foot track with a friend in Sydney. Um, just everyone had talked about this race, something you've got to do at some point. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give that a run, see what it's like. Um, went up to the Blue Mountains. Obviously, it was cancelled last year because of landslides. Came back down to Sydney and my flight home was cancelled because of coronavirus and um, I'm still here. Wow. Wow. And so had you heard about the race prior? Is, was this the reason for your trip out to Australia in the first place? No, I was actually coming out for holiday and to catch up with friends. Um, but I was over here, I think about 20 years ago, and people mentioned this walk called the Six Foot Track. And it was something I'd always thought about doing. And then... As I started running, I thought, well, why would you walk it when you can run it? Get it over and done with quicker. That's my, my thoughts exactly. Fantastic. And, and how did you find the race once you finally got out there 12 months later? Well, I'd actually um, deferred my place from last year to next year because I thought I didn't really want to run it this year. I knew I was tired. Um, from what people had said, I knew the course wouldn't suit me and I was actually petrified really of doing it because I'm not good on steep downhills I don't like mass starts I don't like pushing and shoving so I was um really scared and actually found it a lot nicer than I thought I was going to um on that first bet I was so relieved to get to the bottom of it and I thought phew it's over I can run now <laughs> and you probably actually hit it on a good year because the mass start was much more relaxed it's usually a couple of hundred people vying for position you might have had 40 at the front there something like that 
Yeah, that, that was the whole reason why I did it this year. So I deferred my place to next year. And then a few weeks ago, I was chilling out um, after a few wines with a friend of mine. And I said, oh, it's a shame um, that this year it's a rolling start. I would have preferred that. And she said, well, why don't you ask if there's any chance of entering late um, and then just use it as a recce run to see what the course is like to decide if you want to do it next year. So I emailed them and there you go. And they were happy. I'm, I'm sure they uh, they had a spot for a previous Commonwealth Games marathoner just in the back oh. Or maybe they just wanted a bit of extra money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. And so I was looking through your splits for, um, yeah, for the race. You, you, you were nice and relaxed through to, to the river and came home like a steam train on the uh, the Black Range. Was that the, the plan from the, the start? No, I was, um, I've done quite a few runs and races recently. I was quite tired. I knew I had a race the next weekend that I had to do. Um, so it was just kind of enjoy it, get to know the course. I knew the first bit wouldn't suit me. So I didn't, I wanted to be at the back of wherever I started and hang back so there was no one pushing me because I have been knocked over in a race before. I've broken my nose and ribs being trampled by men in a race. Wow. Um, so I'm still scared of starts. And then I just kept going. I think my, maybe my forte in runs is not that I get quicker. It's just I fade less than other people just because I like eating as I'm going. So I tend to, yeah, just be able to go the same pace really. <laughs> I've, I've heard that your forte is eating in the past. Um, how much were you eating during six foot track? Well, somebody said, oh, it's good because uh, you don't have to carry anything because there's aid stations all the way along. And then I heard there wasn't going to be aid stations this year. So I'm like, right, I'm going to fill my pockets with like lollies and things like that. And I, it was quite hard because I thought, well, I don't want to open my bags of lollies before the river because they're going to get all soggy. Mm. Um, and I thought, oh, well, I'll probably end up with some at the end. And I think by the time I got to the end, I had one left. I'd literally eaten everything. <laughs> <laughs> you measured it out perfectly. Well done. <laughs> And, uh, that's why I have to get to the end. I couldn't be out any longer. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Get straight on that bus and get some more lollies into you. Impressive. <laughs> and so I guess since you've been out in Australia for that 12-month period of time now, you've, you've clocked up a fairly impressive list of, uh, of trails and, and not too many that you didn't stand on the top step of the podium with. So um, post to Kosciuszko, was that a little bit of a departure from your normal style of running 240 k's across the road oh, yeah I've never run that far in my life and I'm quite clumsy so I was a bit worried about running in the dark um but my father's Polish um he would laugh if we say Kosciuszko because he's Kosciuszko so I thought oh got to do this run for my dad want to get to the end and I want to teach everyone how to pronounce his name <laughs> so you were schooling everyone along the way I was. I probably never stopped talking. They all got sick of me, I think. <laughs> well, you, you can't have been running with too many people for too long because you've uh, broken the, the record by about two hours. Is that right? Well, it's kind of the kind of race, I suppose, that suits me. It's a bit like Comrades. It's a moving buffet, really. And so you, you had your, uh, your, your support crew moving along with the buffet the whole time? Yeah, I... I do tend to uh, like having a lot of things along the way. So savoury, sweet things, they were hanging out windows, giving them to me. The 
runner in front of me was refusing ice creams from his support crew. And I'm like, I'll have those. Thank you. That'd be lovely. <laughs> so, so is this the key to the success then? Just that, that ability to take on huge amounts of calories? Well, I think it helps if you're doing long distance. Um, I am the first to say I've got no speed over short distance. I'd probably be rubbish on the track. Um, and at short distance, people fly. But I think I've just learned to eat and run because you can when you're running slower. And if you're going up hills, you eat on the uphills. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. You're probably taking on more than the average uh, average runner. It's impressive. Um, you talk about uh, not having speed, but like I mentioned before, you, you represented your country at the 2014 Glasgow Commonwealth Games and the marathon. So there, there must be something in the tank there. And um, a marathon time of, I think it's 248 PB, something of that nature. That's, that's moving along. That's not slow. Uh, but my PB was maybe about 10 years ago. It was about 239. Um, I can't run that speed now. So, yeah, age has caught up with me, maybe. Oh, happens. Not, not, it hasn't caught you too quickly, though, that's for sure. Um, how was the experience of, 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 of representing at the Commonwealth Games? It was absolutely amazing because I was running for Scotland. It was a home games. Um, my... Town. I used to run in Dumfries and they put on a bus and everybody came up and cheered me and they're shouting your names. I got um, a very late call up to it because uh, I'd had a broken nose, broken ribs from a race and um, had about seven weeks notice. So I was actually just got back from a holiday in Turkey where I'd been uh, having beers at lunchtime, one in the evening, came home and they said, oh, game's in seven weeks, you're in. And I was like, oh, my word. Um, but it was brilliant. But I do say it's probably about the biggest walk of shame you can do. You're running around Glasgow in your knickers, as the kit was uh, quite skimpy, um, on a Sunday morning on TV with everyone watching you. I was like, Ooh, it's a bit scary. And somebody said they've never seen anybody smile their way around a marathon because I didn't run it very fast, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> the walk of shame is an interesting way to put it. You didn't uh, quite have the night before to, to equal that walk of shame. <laughs> oh, <that's> impressive. <laughs> and, and you actually represented the UK a number of times, something like 10 times in, in different, different styles of races. Um, what, what would be your, uh, I guess, preferred kind of distance there? It looks like the 100K is pretty prevalent. Well, I'm not sure. Um, I don't like to do the same thing twice. So I like being able to go to different places and do different races and different events. So um, world mountain running, that was over in America, up a mountain at altitude. So that was quite interesting. Um, trail champs, we've been in Spain, we've been in Portugal. The 100Ks have been in odd places like Doha, um, and Spain and the Netherlands and 50K has been all over. So it's just an excuse to go to different place. I think really each race is slightly different and yeah, each one's got its positives and its negatives, I think. Yeah, it's a great, great reason to travel. That's for sure. And uh, not many people get to, I guess, take that opportunity. You look like you, you certainly have in, in lots of different, different types of races. But I guess the, the variety of um, location is an interesting one, but then I've, I've looked through some of your statistics from your, your 100K World Championships. <laughs> you finished three of these races on the podium, from what I can tell. 
and finished 100 k's within a minute of each other, seven hours and 41 minutes for three separate races. That's um, that's some impressive pacing. Is this strategic or did it just happen that way coincidentally? No, it's completely accidentally. Um, the first time I did 100 k was actually in a world champs. I was at a wild card entry because I hadn't run 100 k before. Um, and then I did well in that race and I did the 741. And then they asked me if I would run it again the next year. And I said, no. And they said, why? I said, because you'll see it was a fluke. I don't think I can run that pace. Um, I don't know what happened. Um, so it was a couple of years before I did it again. And I ran 741 again and thought, oh, that's a bit odd. And the next year I didn't finish on the podium, but I ran 10 minutes quicker. Um, so my PB, I didn't make the podium. And that was 7.31. So the next time I was 7.41 again and back on the podium. So maybe 7.41 is a better time to run. Don't, <laughs> if you run faster, you don't do as well. I don't quite get it. That's, un, that's uncanny. It's, uh, yeah, amazing. For, for, for all of those races, were you going out with the intention of running the same sort of, um, I guess, structured minutes per mile? No, not really. I use my watch, if anything, um, inversely. So I use it to think, oh, I'm running too fast and to slow down um tend to run on feel and on some of them my watch actually ran out um so it's just to kind of keep going and i think i'm basically a one speed person i think i've, I've shown that really i just keep going at that pace like a little duracell buddy and you can certainly maintain it for a long period of time by the looks of things um as evidenced by uh recent 24-hour track race down in canberra where it looks like you've gotten pretty close to the british record at 236 kilometres around the around the track in 24 hours. Uh, how did they convince you to get involved with that one? Um, people had mentioned the 24 hours before, and that was the only distance I guess I've not represented at. Um, and I thought, oh, I never want to do that. It just sounds boring. That's like 24 hours of your life. You're never going to get back. And I was always a bit anxious. I have this um, imposter syndrome that I don't think I'm quite good enough and I thought if I ever do one in the UK people are going to be looking at me going oh what happened to you what happened to you so when this race came up here I thought oh maybe I'll try that and no one will know I'm doing it um, and I didn't really tell anybody I was doing it because I thought I might stop after an hour um, and think I hate this I've never run that far on a track before and you can't DNF a 24-hour race um, because as soon as you start you're recording a distance but you can just record an incredibly short distance um, so I just tried it and thought actually this might suit me like we we're saying you pass your radio station every 400 meters so you can keep oh I'll just have this next lap oh I'd like that next lap and you just kind of tick it along and see what happens um, I guess hindsight's a great thing if I'd known how close I was to a couple of records maybe I would have gone for them but I'm quite happy with how I ran um and what I set at the time yeah yeah it's really really impressive particularly as a first hit out on that kind of race like most people learn some significant lessons from you know first try to second try but you, you seem to have yeah got it right from the start it's uh, amazing well maybe not um once I hit 200k, I was like, right, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to eat some food and walk a lap of the track. And it had been raining for hours and I could not start running again after that. Mm. Um, so maybe with hindsight, I wouldn't do it like that. But I was just doing what I could. I hadn't got a clue really at the time. My support 
I had a friend supporting me and he'd never supported before and he went off into town to get some food and and went to sleep in the night and maybe that would be different if I did it again but at the time it was the best I could do on the day really yeah well I mean you obviously banked that 200 k's with enough time in 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 the bank I suppose so yeah it it worked um speaking of that I guess that walking I've heard you speaking about deliberately trying not to walk during a race for as long as humanly possible um what's the psychology around that um, it maybe it's a mental thing. I, I, in the 24 hours, I saw people running and walking and I know some of the winners of Comrades um, have walked. But for me, I just think, well, once I've walked, it's hard to make myself run again. Or I can just think, well, I've already walked. I might as well walk again. So I kind of keep going. Um, but in Comrades, I thought if somebody walks past me faster than I'm running, that's telling me I probably need to walk. Yeah. But yeah, it's just to kind of keep him going. Otherwise, I think I'll just stop and then I can't be bothered to start again. Yeah, so yeah. Again, again, in even in, in six foot, I knew I was tired. I knew I was going to be walking up those hills. But I thought, no, I need to walk here. Um, but it was when I get to the top of them, it's reminding myself, no, actually, you're meant to be running here. This is no, you're not just out for a walk in the park. Mm. And, and, and so did you walk the, the pluviometer, those two massive hills in the middle? Is that... Um, from the river. Yeah, from the river up to the top. Yeah. Oh yes, I walked. I walked up there, and I thought, um, probably should be running these, but I'm tired. I'm going to walk them. Okay. See what happens. I didn't actually know where I was in the field. I was thinking, well, if I came in maybe the, the top ten women, then I would be able to use my place next year without having to go through the lottery again. So it wasn't until I got quite near the end that somebody said, you know, you're actually doing really well here and I was like am I really oh I've been walking up all these hills mm. I've, I've, I've done the race a few times I'm pretty sure you're supposed to walk up those hills at least I walk up them so there you go <laughs> there you go um and I believe after a uh after a race you, you're pretty keen on some coffee cake and then maybe moving into some wine at some stage how was the uh the spread at the end of six foot track well, obviously, the, there couldn't be anything this year um, because people had told me that, oh, it's amazing you come into the finish and it's so loud and there's so much partying going on. But um, we had a very big club group turnout, loads of people running it, um, lots of people doing it for the first time, Some one of the guys doing it for his 13th time even. So we had a, a range of abilities and people through the field and one guy didn't run the race Mark Dunlop, um, he drove us all around the place, dropped everybody, did about five shuttles of taking people so they could get to the start. He'd been for a run and he was round at the finish at the car park. People could come and see you do that last little bit down to the finish line. And then he met me and went back up and we had a couple of beers while watching everybody else. And we went to the bit where you cheer people on for the last K and a half. So yeah. I had a beer and cheered everybody else in from the club. It was lovely. Fantastic. A woman after my own heart. It's the only way to finish a race. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I just want to touch quickly. You mentioned before uh, suffering from imposter syndrome. And um, for someone with such a, you know, a glowing resume of, of results and, and, and races, where, where do you think that, that particular psychology comes from for you, Jane? Um, I think it's because I wasn't 
40 child. Um, at school in the UK, it's all about sprinting, short distances, that kind of thing. I've always had problems with my knees. I can't start a race, um, even a park run, start at the back, anything. It takes me a long time to warm up. I'd rather start 100 metres back from the line and be running through the line behind people. So at school, when you did short distances, it would be uh, marks taken off for not trying because I just couldn't do that distance. So I'd be the last to pick for any sporty teams because they'd say, well, we'll take points off you. You're not trying. And I think it just comes from that, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. I, I guess uh, growing up quickly, there's lots of, uh, lots of girls that have sore knees. So it's a, it's a terrible way to pigeonhole someone. Well, it's not so much sore that I have this and I still have it now. So they used to say it was psychological, but I thought, well, how come I've still got it as an adult? But my knees will go stiff, um, which is why I don't like to stand on a start line. I would rather be wandering around walking and pretend to tie my shoelaces up lots of times. So I'm bending my knees because mm. they, they stiffen and they lock. So if people are pushing forwards and my knees are locked, I'm more likely to get knocked over. And you'd think if it was a psychological thing, then your self-preservation would stop it happening. But that's how I've been trampled and broken bones in races is because that's happened to me and people have run over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it shows now my my mental attitude that how much um, children take in what's said to them and how important that is in their later life because it's ingrained in your psyche. If you've been told so many times as a child that you're bad at this, you're not trying, you're rubbish, you can't get past that as an adult. Mm-hmm. So it's made me kind of really aware of what we say to children. Yeah, no, it's a really important yeah, thing to thing to say, talk about. Um, and you've obviously overcome it in an amazing fashion. So there must be some serious mental strength there um, to, to get past that. Um, just just sort of touching on, on your legs, I guess. Um, I believe you suffered from some stress fractures a few years back. Um, would you mind sort of chatting about uh, the, the Red S stuff that you, you've been through over time there? Yeah, um, I'm not somebody that classically you would, you'd think of as having Red S because I'm not somebody who restricts, as you've discussed, what I eat and drink. I'm not a um, lean track runner, shall we say. Mm. Um, and even when I had it, people didn't, they, they didn't, it was hard to get the um, diagnosis of the stress fracture confirmed for ages because it wasn't behaving typically. And then it just didn't heal and it didn't heal. Um, so after about a year of it not healing, and I've been asking about getting bone scans that showed I had the reduced bone density. Um, and somebody, one of the consultants even said to me, you don't look like you don't eat. I thought, well, that's an interesting thing to say. Um, I think that's an insult, but, you know. Um, For a lot of Yeah, and it was just like, mm, don't think you should say that to a female in this day and age, but because it can lead to, obviously, other eating problems and disorders, and I'd never had anything like that, but eventually got it diagnosed and thought, right, I've got to stop running. So that's when I basically stopped doing anything long distance stopped competing stopped doing anything took up coaching took up more eating um, and started researching into it and sort of trying to get the word out so that other people didn't have to go through what I'd gone through without realizing mm-hmm. and, and, and so I mean 
post-diagnosis, the, the things you're talking about, was that the remedy, just slowing down, doing less, eating more? Was that, the, was that all it took? Well, it, it's a change of mindset. Um, and it's trying to change your mindset, but not only your mindset, but the mindset of everybody else around you. Because I'd resign myself to, you may never run again. Um, you may never compete again. And people would say to me, oh, well, you'll be faster again when you lose all that weight you've put on. And I was mm. like, what? This thing that I've been trying over six to eight months to improve for my health, I don't want to run fast for the next six months and never run again. I want to be able to enjoy my running in 10, 20, 30 years time. And mm. um, it's a hobby at the end of the day and it, it's meant to be enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. And obviously you were able to come through that and operate at a very high level. Um, do you run at a heavier weight than you did you know, five or six years ago? A much heavier, yeah, but I think that also makes you stronger yeah. and it makes you more resilient. But what I find quite hard now is seeing other people, men and women, um, not realising it and not realising long-term effects of what they do now with their their running their eating their nutrition mm. and i i find it maybe frustrating is the wrong word but upsetting that they've got so much potential now and in the future but people get very focused on the here and now mm-hmm. and just uh, just in case uh, some of our listeners are going through that same i guess diagnostic challenge how was it that you got to that diagnosis in the end? What was the, the procedure process? So it's something that really wasn't very well known about a couple of years ago. So I looked at my bone density and my bone density was low. And the funny thing was somebody said, have you tried doing weight bearing exercise? I was like, oh, that, that's quite funny. That's what's actually causing it. Um, I looked at several blood markers and you have to do slightly different blood markers to the, the usual ones. So for example, normal thyroid function, sorry, I'm a medic as well. So it's kind of from both sides. So normal thyroid function tests is you look at your T4, which is your circulating thyroid hormones and your TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating. And both of those might be normal. But if you look at T3, which is a slightly different marker, which you have to specifically request, that can be low, which shows low energy availability. You can also look at your hormones and find that a lot of your hormones are suppressed. Mm. Your Look at your full blood count. You might not necessarily be anemic, but your white cell markers might be low, which is often a sign of people are overtraining and their neutrophil count might be low. And there's just a couple of other markers like that that you can look at and then you sort of look at the whole picture and put it together. You check there's nothing else going on, looking at calcium, vitamin D, parathyroid hormones, um, cortisol, which is stress hormone, and making sure there's no other conditions going on. Mm. And then basically come down, come down to it really. No, that's, that's fantastic information. I don't think uh, a lot of GPs would be looking for that as a first port of call, you know. So I think you have to be your own advocate in that sense and, and ask for that specific testing to be done, um, being armed with that information. So thank you for that, Joe. That's, that's brilliant. Um, you just touched on you being a medic, and uh, I believe that's how you got into this running caper in the first place, being a, a race doctor first and foremost. Um, I wanted to pick your brain on a couple of topics related to that. 
the idea of uh, hydration has sort of evolved pretty significantly over the last 20, 30 years. Um, we've been told at this point to drink to thirst and to avoid the dangers of hyponatremia. How, how frequently do you see this come about within a race? The thing is, if you look at people's, um, people refer to themselves as salty sweaters or not salty sweaters. And if you look at the amount, um, if you analyze somebody's sodium and the content of their sweat and things like that is people don't get so hyponatremic by losing salt in, in the course of a race. They get it by diluting it too much, by drinking too much and not the right kind of stuff. But so it, it, it's all a, a mixture of things like some people say, oh, you need to take salt tablets. You need to take this. You need to take that. Well, I've done the, some of these long races. I've never taken salt tablets. Mm. I haven't had any problems, but I do tend to fuel a better. So I think it's you've got to really look with everybody in this and hyponatremia, uh, fluid balance. You've got to look at everything else that they're taking in as well as what they're putting out. Yeah. And, and I guess if you're eating more in the way of real food, you're probably getting some of those electrolytes into your your, your balance, I suppose, whereas someone who's just relying on gels may not be getting quite the, the salt intake there. So, Yeah, absolutely. And, and you often crave it, but you need to listen to your body. And I think it's learning a bit about what you crave, what you want what you need because sometimes mm. you let it go too far and you've almost gone beyond that stage mm. so for example even myself that I say I, I know what I like to have I'll think oh I'm not feeling very good I'm just feeling a bit rubbish and I'll eat something like even in the 24-hour race I was looking at my lap splits were, were going off and I was like I don't know why that is maybe I'm just tired and I would eat a big chocolate chip cookie and suddenly I was bang on pace again and I thought oh yeah food makes me feel better <laughs> But I was so tired, I'd kind of forgotten that almost. <laughs> we lose that basic human drive. It's such a bizarre uh, thing to do to our brains, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but sometimes you go beyond hunger almost. Yeah. And, and people think, oh, I'm just so tired, I can't be bothered to eat. And you think that's the thing you need to do. Yeah. And when you eat, you tend to drink or you actually get fluid and salt through your food as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It all makes sense to me. Um, what about the idea of, uh, of anti-inflammatories during a, an ultramarathon? What's your experience there? I would um, never advocate them and I would try and get people not to take them because mm. you're um, affecting your kidneys by dehydrating yourself a bit in the race. You're also breaking down um, your red blood cells for the impact your kidneys are going to be working overtime anyway to, to metabolize and, and keep you healthy. So non-steroidals can cause blood breakdown. They can cause stomach problems, but they can also affect your kidneys. So I'll be people that take them prophylactically, I think it's a total no, no, mm. and you really should be trying to avoid them as well. Um, and the other thing that people take in races, which I'm not a big advocate is they take things, um, like emodium to stop themselves going to the toilet. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, really, do you want to be carrying that weight around inside you that when it wants to come out as well? And you just, I don't think you should be artificially treating yourself for anything if you don't need to. No, no. Medications are there for a purpose, not to be taken in case or prophylactically. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and certainly the idea of carrying any extra weight on board doesn't make sense to me either. Um, just ask Camille Heron. She's a, you know, a bit of a guru at this. She seems to be able to expel these fluids quite comfortably. <laughs> yeah, Camille's great. She also likes her tacos and beers. Um, yeah, we've done a, a few races together, bless her. She, she's amazing. Impressive human being, that's for sure. That's for sure. She is. And, and so, uh, you know, you've been marooned here in Australia for 12 months now. How are you enjoying your time on the, the Central Coast? Oh, it's a beautiful area and everyone is so friendly and there's, oh, it's just, just the best place. I think it's, it's safer than the UK at the minute. The, the difficulty is keeping in touch with, obviously, parents who are getting a bit older, um, back home remembering time changes and that kind of thing. And, yeah, but it's lovely over here. And you've got a nice running group to, uh, to keep you moving. Yep, they're brilliant. They're, they're some of my best friends. That's the thing about running and running all over the world is that's how you make your friends. And you can have such great friends because you've gone through all these different hardships with them, shall we say. But also, I think when you run, you can have amazing conversations to people because you're not making eye contact. You're not face to face. So you can talk about so much that maybe you wouldn't um, at another time. And yeah, like you say, what goes on tour stays on tour. What goes on a run stays on a run. It's very true. Very true. Uh, it breaks down some barriers for sure. Have you ever thought about just having a couple of treadmills in your office as a GP and just walking next to each other and not making eye contact? You might get a little bit of information out of the patient. Yeah, I might get a lot of um, sweaty patients as well, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's a trade-off. And um, so will you be hanging out in Australia for a little while now? Well, I can't see them restarting flights um, anytime soon. But yeah, now I've, I've started work over here. Um, I've got a, a visa that lets me now work for up to three years. So that, that, that's the aim for now. And then we'll take it from there afterwards. Wonderful. Great to have you on board. That's for sure. And uh, what's next on the running agenda then? What have you got your eye on? It's difficult to say because we don't know what's happening um, with the future races overseas i don't know if um the world champs will be on this year if we'll be able to travel if i leave to go to them will i be allowed back to australia mm -hmm. um the 24 it's hours is 24. the one i've never never represented at so mm -hmm. it's almost like that's the one i haven't done do i want to do that um so if i'm going to do that later on in the year i need to then stop doing everyone that I feel like doing and maybe focus on it but next to me is I think I'm going to pace some of the boys over a marathon distance and see how we do okay very good very good no uh, no thoughts of getting on the terrible trotters train and doing the great north walk later in the year I'll um volunteer and help out on on an aid station but um it wouldn't probably if the 24 hours are going ahead it might not suit me to run it of course of course, and maybe not the, the, the clumsiness, as you say. Yes, <laughs> I'll be the, the Malco that falls over. I'd rather help other people out and give, some, give something back to running. So yeah. um, that's why I took up coaching when I uh, stopped competing. I wanted to give something back. So volunteering and helping others is, is a way of giving back to everything, like the friendships that the sport's given me. Absolutely. It's a very impressive sentiment. Um, and how, uh, how can people follow you and your, your, your journey onto the 24-hour world? Fingers crossed. 
Um, I don't know what you mean. How, how can they, uh, social media sort of stuff, can they follow, follow your, your training? Oh, well, I used to, um, I used to have a Twitter account, um, but then there was some issues about six months ago where all the, the little blue verified Twitter accounts got hacked. So I decided just to come off it. Mm-hmm. So I really just, um, use Facebook as my only social media thing really and I tend to write a blog about some of my races so that people in the UK can keep in touch with what I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah. I had had a look through a few but there were far too many races to read all about so I didn't get, I didn't get too deep into it. <laughs> you, you yeah well write. that's just a way that my parents keep asking me what I've been doing and asking for photos so I tend to say well I'll write about it for you and then they don't have to ring me all the time so it's what perfect. are you up to it's perfect a, a prolific race career it's so so impressive well um look, once again congratulations on uh, on a fine year in Australia I guess some some great great victories but particularly the Central Park Marathon and so uh, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really big deal to win that race well done um, and, and thank you for joining us on the podcast, Joe. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much. No worries. I'm sure we'll catch up on the trail soon. Okay, we're here with Matt from Fractel Performance Headwear. How are you, Matt? Hey, good, thanks, Eddie. How are you, mate? Yeah, mate, really well. Thanks for uh, jumping on from where are we now, the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, yeah, I'm just uh, up in Budrum, all of our area from the Sunshine Coast. So we're, uh, we're about an hour north of uh, the recent lockdown that came into effect last night in Brisbane. So it's all interesting. So you're free to move around, but uh, can't get into Greater Brisbane. Is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we're, um, we're so far there's no cases up here, and I've just I've just locked down that Greater Brisbane area. So yeah, we'll just a bit of watch this space, and uh, we've had it pretty good, pretty good for the last year, to be honest. So. Um, yeah, we're due for our, our turn for the looks. Oh, look, I guess so. I think it'll be short-lived, but, uh, you know, it's mm. an ever-changing environment, mate. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And so last time we, we talked, um, yeah, things were things were starting to heat up at Fractel. What's been happening in the last few months, mate? Yeah, I think, oh, geez, last time we spoke, um, you know, we we're, were rolling out, um, might have just been prior to our Legionnaires and things like that coming out, um, which I'm sure you might have seen on uh, online. We, we were struggling to keep up there for a while and, and they were selling out, you know, really quick. Um, uh, so that was a, it was a nice product to introduce that, um, you know, we haven't seen too many Legionnaires getting around prior to, to um, what we brought out. So it was nice to see see them out on the trails and, you know, providing you know, a bit of extra shade for those people out, out there all day. Yeah, um, sure. So they've taken off. Um, and then, yeah, just in, in other areas, you know, we've, we've really started working closer with um, some select run clubs around the, the country and the, and the world, really, to just to continue that community aspect. Um, uh, we've set up, you know, we're, we're now selling in, in, in Europe, um, set up with distribution there, Asia and, and America. So it's, it's uh, keeping us on our toes and um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's exciting. Uh, what, what was a garage, you know, we're, a year ago, we we're working out of our garage, and now we're we're trying to find out what the, what the next steps are, where we can store all our hats and product, and yeah, it's um it's a learning curve, and it's an exciting journey we're on. Mate, that's that's fantastic news. Really, uh, yeah, expanding nicely. And so, what what does the range look like now? Like you've got the 
I've tried the the head scarf type thing, and and obviously the regular regular cap. What what else have you got? The Legionnaires yeah. hat. And there was something else there too. Yeah, yeah the Legionnaires um and the and the visors we brought. Uh, we did. Oh, we I think we had a visor when we first launched, and um, we sort of we chose to get rid of it and focus on the hats for a while. But no, that we've got some quality visors back in stock down there. They're going well. Um, the Legionnaires, obviously, like I mentioned before, we've just introduced them with like a uh, with a, with a ponytail hole option up the top for the. We had a few requests from those with long hair and women, and um, that seems to be going down really well. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to nail this headwear space and um, you know stick to what we're good at for the time being. And um, yeah, we're coming into winter. We're we're uh, between you and I and the rest of the listeners. We're, uh, we've got some beanies, there's some beanies lined up and uh, a few other options there. So that that's exciting as well to cater a bit more for the up here on the Sunshine Coast. We don't really have a winter, but we understand no. other other parts of the country do. So. Uh, we'll Especially be there to help. moving into Europe, mate, you might need to get a little bit yeah. warmer on the head. Yeah, I know that's right. They only got two weeks a year. They can wear hats over there, they reckon. So we better. We probably should make some beanies for them. <laughs> Good call, <laughs> mate. Good call. Yeah. When, you, when you're designing uh, the hole for the ponytail through this cap, how high do you go? Whose head do you model off? Oh, I've got, fortunately, I've got a, a a willing wife at home um, with with long hair who was able to, to test it out and, and show me, you know, this is where you should put it. This is the size of it. Uh, so we had a couple of models that tested it out for us prior to production. And, um, yeah, so far, so good. <laughs> That's good news, mate. That's a crucial yeah. element, the height of that ponytail. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't realise how important it was until I showed her and, you know, I wouldn't want to get it wrong. No, exactly right. Exactly right. And I've seen a couple of um, custom lines out there with a couple of the uh, friends of the show. Um, what, mm. How can people contact you regarding that sort of service, mate? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, custom orders are probably it's what I consider the most exciting part of our business because it really gives us a chance to, uh, to meet and greet with stores, um, run clubs, um, breweries, you name it. Um, you know, we've had a lot of custom orders come through and you get to, to learn more about their brand and, and bring an idea to life for them, which they're always pretty excited about. So, yeah, the best way to, to inquire about that is um, just jumping on our website and on one of the tabs on the right-hand side there. We've got a, a custom inquiry form and you can reach out to us and take it from there. But, yeah, it's... It's, it's really fun, um, low minimum orders, and um, people seem to be really getting around it. I think in uh, this day and age, uh, people, you know, like sporting their club colours and things like that. And um, so and with the club culture booming as much as it is in the running scene, obviously, it's, um, yeah, it seems to be something people are getting around. So, yeah, we're, we're happy to help out. Yeah, unreal, unreal. And um, what sort of minimum orders are you talking about? How many do they need to put together? Um, 35 is where we start at, so um, it seems to be relatively achievable for, for a lot of groups. So, yeah, that's, that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Perfect. That's, that's definitely achievable. Um, I've been running a bit with uh, with Fractal Ambassador Scotty Richmond, mate. Um, he seems to be, yeah. be ticking along beautifully in the Fractal hat. Have you got any other athletes on board, um, like specifically, or are you concentrating on the group stuff? Yeah, it's been more the groups. We haven't nailed, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of the term ambassador. Um, we like to just support good people doing good things within our communities. Um, so we haven't really fleshed out a proper ambassador role as such. Um, but, you know, we, yeah, so we try and help out our clubs around the place, whether that's a group discount uh, for the club or 
certain individuals, you know, embarking on, I don't know, a, a charity events or, or a, you know, a longer distance event that they need some assistance with. So that's that's where we sort of try and help out where we can. Um, and probably on a, on a larger sort of scale, we're obviously we're stoked to still be supporting Scotty Hawker, um, you know, for his year coming up on the professional circuit. Um, and then we've got the likes of um, Nick, Nick Butter as well, who's uh, an athlete just about to tackle 100 marathon or have 100 double marathons in 100 days running around the UK. So that'll be an exciting one to watch out for as well. <laughs> this seriously is uh, a new level of madness. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah, no, people just it's one thing after another. Like no one's ever happy with what they what they achieve. It's always on to the next big thing. Right, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Mate, um, what, what, what about your own personal running? Are you getting a chance to get out there at the moment? Oh, geez, it's, um, yeah, it's still been very much social running. Um, yeah, nothing, I haven't, can't say I've been uh, hitting the track and setting any PVs, that's for sure. Um, so I'm just enjoying getting out with mates and then whether it's trail or road and just and, you know, running for the social aspect, aspect of it at the moment and um, keeping sane. Um, I did uh, scrape through a um, Bar triathlon actually a couple of weekends ago, which nice. was uh, I, I needed something on the calendar to, do, to motivate myself. So I got together with a few guys and picked that one off, um, which was good fun. But um, yeah, no, nothing, nothing locked in for the in the short term anyway. Just happy to stick along. Yeah, nice to be able to start pinning a number on actually. It's uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, no, missed, it, it, yeah, that's another good point. Is the, uh, it's good to see the races coming. You know, well and truly coming back in here over here in Australia anyway. So I yeah. think everyone's super keen to, to lace up and chuck the number on and, and go hard for a bit. Yeah, bloody oath, mate. It's a good thing. Well, um, yeah, thanks for uh, jumping on board and uh, letting us know about the new range. I'm looking to try out the Legionnaire's cap. It um, definitely suit my ears, keep them, keep them under wraps. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah, no, they'll, they'll, they'll hide under there very well. It should be, <laughs> should be in the mail or it should be in your post box in a minute. That's what we're after, mate, for sure. Uh, mate, well, good luck with the, uh, you know, the world domination. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to chat to you over the next few months about the, the new babies coming out too. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. Baby steps. But um, we've got good support like you guys and, and, and the other, other people around the country and stuff. So, yeah, anything's possible, hey? Bloody oath. Bloody oath. Thanks, Matty. See you soon, mate. Cool. So easy, mate. Thanks very much. See ya. Okay, welcome to Ben Duffus, all the way from beautiful sunny Queensland, mate. How are you? Good to be here. Glad we're out of lockdown now. Yeah, yeah, well done. So uh, you're free to move about as as per normal as of yesterday? Pretty much. I mean, we're now still a few extra restrictions for the next couple of weeks in terms of where you have to wear masks and that. But for the most part, it's things are returning to normal here in Brisbane. I'm tentatively hoping to run at the Buffalo Stampede next weekend. So that is now possible, thankfully, that travel is allowed interstate. So just hoping we don't have any more spikes in cases that get in the way of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've been, uh, you've you booked your place to, to Buffalo Stampede, booked your tickets now, you're ready to roll? Yep. So everything's booked, set and ready. Just need, um, yeah, COVID to play ball, basically. <laughs> It, it doesn't tend to like playing ball, unfortunately. It's a, it's, it's a poor ball player. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's sort of the thing. We've, this last year and a bit, it's been over a year now, it really just teaches that you just have to be adaptable and ready to sort of roll with what comes. And, 
yeah, always having sort of backup plans upon backup plans because yeah, I could be stuck in a hotel for a week as soon as I get down there. Who who knows? Yeah, exactly. You have to be uh, yeah flexible and patient. That's for sure. Um, I, I guess we need to congratulate you on your fantastic win at uh, Six Foot Track Marathon just recently. Yeah, uh, you had a, had a fantastic day, mate. How how have you pulled up? Yeah, I mean, I've pulled up pretty well. That's why I've already got another race lined up coming soon that it obviously took it nice and easy for um, the first sort of week and a bit afterwards. But by then, legs were starting to come good. So I've put in a few decent sessions already since then. And yeah, overall, quite happy with how both the race went and how I've recovered from it. Yeah, mate, you'd have to be have to be happy. I, I want to ask you a little bit on that, uh, I guess, recovery piece. So typically, I'll get pretty beaten up in the quads and the ITBs after six foot track. Do you feel those sorts of uh, niggles or the front of the pack not experiencing the same sort of issues post-race? I mean, fortunately, nothing I'd really call a niggle, but in terms of just classic delayed onset muscle soreness, yeah, my quads were quite quite sore after the race and definitely uh, sort of that old old man shuffle sort of for the next couple of days and stairs and not your friend. Oh, mate, that's heartening. That's heartening. At any stage, did you contemplate not sitting down on the toilet because you weren't sure you'd be able to get back up? Uh, It never got quite that bad, but I certainly have been in that uh, position before. That has been, uh, yeah, some of the not-so-great moments of ultra running. (laughs) Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it, actually. (laughs) Mate, um, you you were in uh, the Blue Mountains for a period of time pre-race. How long did you spend up there? Uh, I spent a week before and a week after um, it rained for those whole two weeks, pretty much, except for race day. Yeah. And fortunately, actually, the first day I was there was also a sunny day. So I was able to put in a decent training run on the course on that first day there and then was going to take it very easy after that anyway. So the fact that I was trapped indoors while it rained wasn't uh, too much of an inconvenience. Bit of enforced tapering. It's always good for yeah it's probably a blessing in disguise in that sense that it really removes any temptation to do too much or push too hard yeah certainly i, I guess on that topic of pushing too hard um i, I saw on your strava that you did the mega long mega uh, as your last training run about a week out so the top of the pluviometer to megalong valley road um and just dominated the strava king of the mountain stuff throughout that run were you, you, were you trying to push quite hard in that, that last hit out a week out? Uh, it certainly was as far as long runs go. Like it was a, a solid long run that I was sort of what I would sort of in the weeks leading would hope. It, it's hard to compare sort of looking at Brisbane because when we're running through the heat and humidity that you are not, you're going to be slower uh, um, in all of your runs. So it probably was one of the best long runs I've put in, in a little while as much of that because of conditions. Um, but overall, no, that one didn't beat me up too much. It was probably a little more than I would usually um, recommend before. If Six Foot had been like my one big focus sort of for the start of the year, I probably would have um, done a little bit less that weekend to taper a little bit more aggressively. But I've got more stuff coming on later. So that was sort of as much thinking of using Six Foot as another stepping stone um, towards longer races like Buffalo, like UTA, and then Brisbane Trail Ultra that's sort of coming up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. It's interesting. I, I was just wondering how that would play into your coaching strategy, I guess, whether you would encourage your, your runners to put in that hard effort with a week to go. But 
if it's uh, not quite the A race, then it makes a bit more sense for sure. Yeah, it, it really depends on it's what, well, first off, it depends on how quickly can sort of the athlete recover. And that's going to be different that I can usually recover a little bit quicker than most. I'm sort of in that, honestly, I mean, I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot at the moment that I've been running ultras for almost 10 years. So you've got that experience in the legs, mm. but I'm also 28 so you've also got that youth on your side of uh you generally recover a little bit quicker that mm. you know it's just one of those things that as you um particularly over 40 and that that you need probably need to be a little bit more careful with that sort of recovery in those one or two weeks leading into a big race mm. yeah my over 40 year old legs are uh, agreeing with you as we speak want <laughs> <laughs> to talk a little bit about that brisbane uh humidity i guess so a, a lot of people sort of came out of she took track this year and certainly a couple of years ago, suggesting that it was a hot and a humid day. How did you find it out there personally? Yeah, so it's one of those things where after, so the river was obviously quite high, so the river crossing was neck height for me. Um, after, after doing that crossing, I don't think I ever dried out. So that was certainly a, oh, I guess I was, it must have been pretty humid because mm-hmm. things never, never dried properly. Um, but I'm kind of you coming from that, that for six months of the year, yeah, your shoes are squelching from sweat from from 30 minutes into your run. That's just what you're used to. So it's sort of, I didn't think it, I didn't notice myself being bothered by the heat too much. Like I'm sure it's one of those things that if it had been 10 degrees and dry, yes, we would have been able to go quicker, Mm -hmm. but because of what I was coming from, it wasn't, I didn't really think that much of it. It wasn't bothering me too much. And things like I was probably drinking a lot more than a lot of people. Um, I purposely took a pack and was carrying extra water and that. But again, I was, that's something I'm very used to that I, I started with 2.7 liters of water with me for this race, which is hmm. almost three liters, which is yeah, almost half of what I have to run with in my long runs up here for the same sort of duration. So hmm. again, it's one of those things where it's just relative. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, I didn't realise you carried a pack for the race. Um, so 2.7 litres from the start, did you fill up at any stage or was that you done for the... No, that was... Yeah, so I was running dry. On, so I finished all my water around the, on the three-hour mark, though, to be honest, for the last sort of 30 minutes or so, I was having to really ration it out yeah. um, because I knew I was starting to run low, but I, I knew that I was on track for about that 320 time. So I figured three hours was a good mark that it's like, okay, if I'm finished then I'm mm. fine to get through to the finish. Um, but yeah, that was purposely so that I didn't have to stop and fill. There was one of those decisions that mega long mega was also there a bit of a test for me to see how much am I going through in terms of fluids um, in these conditions. And that sort of showed me that, yeah, I was needing that around 900 mil or so an hour. Mm-hmm. um at least and so i figured well if i'm having to stop to fill up that whole time you know i'm having to probably then stop four times an hour mm-hmm. and realistically you know like at the end of the day how the race panned out where i was sort of neck to neck with benny saint for most of the way in that situation i know i'm not going to want to stop four times every hour and let him run away from me and so with that in mind I was like, okay and, and but one of those things where it's like okay yes you have to carry extra weight but the time you would have lost from having to stop and refill that much yep. you make up some of it and that way i could just know that okay i know what i'm getting in it's sort of the safe secure option so that's why i went with that mm. um, it makes a lot of sense and I, I guess there's just this historical notion that 
you don't carry a pack for six foot track. But we've seen, you know, yourself this year and Steph Austin, you know, the last time around, you know, winning the thing wearing it wearing a pack. So obviously the weight on your shoulders doesn't make a hell of a lot of difference. So you might see Yeah, well and, and as I said, it, it's a um again because i'm sort of coming and training for some longer ones that i'm quite used to running with a pack and as i said training in brisbane i'm used to training with a much heavier pack so it doesn't bother me quite as much like it is still an interesting intellectual exercise of hypothetically how could you really optimize it that in terms of balancing saving weight and then time spent filling up and as I said, I just kind of went for, well, what, what's the safe option? And I'm also in the process of really making sure I dial in my nutrition hydration for upcoming races and that. So in the interest of that, it just seemed like it served me best to know what I'm taking in. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, 900 mils an hour is, is a significant amount of fluid and, and particularly for a bloke your size. I mean, I'm guessing you're sort of high 60s, something like that. That's that's a lot of, a lot of fluid, I guess, um, compared to what some of the recommendations are. So do you chat with your, you know, uh, coaching group to, to get that right specifically? Yeah. So, and it's one of those things. So I, I, this is something I've put in a lot of time and effort into dialing in the last couple of years in particular, I guess is a big shout out to um, Steph Gaskell and the research team down at Monash university that I've been working closely with them over the last couple of years. And yeah, the reality is in those sort of conditions. I, I mean, I can, yeah, it, it's, the hot humid conditions here in Brisbane, there'll be training runs where I'd be sweating out over two liters an hour. Um, and so I do need the, that extra water compared to some people that I know it's very um, sexy to go light and fast, but unfortunately I'm not sexy. I have to carry that bit of extra weight in order to optimize performance. Mate, everyone looks sexier on the top step of the podium. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> Glad you think so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our, our friends of the show, Precision, Precision Hydration, will uh, do a sweat analysis of you if anyone wants to look that up. Just a bit of a plug. Um, so in the lead up to something like this, do you think there's value in training for the hot, humid conditions? How, how much um, do you think people need to think about that in the lead up to such a race? It's hard because for this race, you don't know for sure what the conditions are going to be. It certainly can be quite warm and humid some years, whereas others, it can be quite cool and pleasant. So it's not necessarily something which you need to make an absolute focus. And because it's coming at March, chances are for a good portion of Australia, you are naturally going to be uh, heat acclimated at that sort of time of year. As I said, somewhere here in Queensland that it's more about you doing everything you can to avoid the heat you're getting yeah. up super early in that to try and minimize those factors it's hard not to be air heat acclimate obviously you live somewhere cooler it would be something where where people do need to uh think about a little bit more of okay maybe make sure you are doing some training runs and that in the middle mm. uh well out in the middle of the day when it is a bit warmer and that um but yeah it's sort of a case-by-case -case basis and ultimately whether it's heat, whether it's altitude, you're also always best served by just making sure you arrive at the start line as fit as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think people probably don't think about that aspect as much. You know, that's going to make more of a difference than the acclimation, you would think. Yeah, it's one of those things that you can worry. People will often put a lot of time and effort into the one percenters and forget the 99 percenters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, many are guilty, myself included. Um, 
So uh, talking about 900 mils of fluid, how many calories are you taking? I mean, you've got unlimited access, obviously, with the pack now. What are you trying? Uh, to- I was taking in 75 grams of carbs an hour, so that's 300 calories mm, an hour. Yeah. Yeah, which is, again, sort of a higher limit. And that's something that you do sort of have to train your gut to tolerate, um, which is, again, is something that I've sort of been really focusing in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm about 80 kilos personally, and I try to take in about 300 calories, same. Um, but, yeah, as I said, you're a slightly lighter runner. Um, so, yeah, you're definitely hitting that upper end of the, of the spectrum there. So it's interesting, again. Um, I, I wanted to have a quick chat about pacing it's a really difficult race to pace typically for people um and, and you know the, the consensus is most people go out too hard for six foot track how are you gauging your effort in that first 15 k's down to the river do you use heart rate uh perceived exertion what do you think about uh so in a lot of races i will use power using a stride power meter unfortunately they are not fully waterproof and so something like cox where we're going neck height that would break them taking them that sort of deep water Mm -hmm. so i wasn't able to use any of that so it was more just uh perceived exertion that Mm -hmm. um yeah going by feel and also then there is also sort of a competitive element at that point of sort of okay i had um ben and i were running together pretty much that whole first 15k and so it's that balance of sort of yeah either running together or just sort of slightly ahead and balancing it with uh yeah how am i feeling mm-hmm. are there little little niggles and head games going on at that point of the race between the two of you uh not too much like we're we're good mates so we were you know obviously you're pushing so you're not you're hardly having too much chit chat um at, at that sort of intensity but you know we were still talking because he knows the track sort of better than i do and so there were a few moments where he'd sort of you know knowing the track when like if a gate was closed like oh you can get around it to the left sort of thing and would you know point that out for me okay we'd already make because um we're the first ones going through some of the gates and so we have to stop to open the gate so you know you make your gentleman's agreement that whoever opens the gate also gets to be first to go through it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was all sort of, I feel like getting to Cox is the warm up. So we were sort of not um, killing it and it was still pretty, yeah, just friendly competition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's good. Did you happen to uh, pass a, a large black stallion at some point just before one of the styles about eight Ks into the race? Was there a horse in the way? I don't remember there being a horse in the way. No, like them. I think we might have seen. So, yeah, I, 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 it obviously I didn't have to stop for it. That it's not. It sounds like it's something that we should have uh, should be standing out of my memory, but it's not. Yeah. By the by, the time I got through, there was a there was a pretty sizey horse in the way and bit bit one of my mates on the head actually. So it was uh, just oh, horse, interesting. <laughs> now, fortunately, we didn't have to uh, contend yeah. with that. <laughs> no, it was impressive. That's good reason to be fast again. Um. Did you guys run the entire hill? People often ask this question, you know, when they're, when they're hiking up Pluviometer, do you, do you run every step of that? Yep. Yeah, yeah, run every step of the entire race okay. in this yeah. one. Yeah. Simple, simple question. And um, towards the back end of the thing, at, at what point do you say to yourself, okay, I'm just going to drain the tank now. I, I know I'm going to get to the end in decent shape. I can really start to push how long out from Janolan Caves. So 
I, I, I guess I sort of have to backtrack there a little bit to sort of break down how, how the race went. That up Poolby, as I said, we ran to Cox together and then up Poolby was where Ben then pulled away from me. And by the top, I know he had 90 seconds. I was getting reports halfway up. He had two minutes at one point. Mm-hmm. So, and then spent the Black Rangers reeling him in. Um, and then must have, yeah, so, yeah, at the end of the Black Rangers was about where I caught him. Mm-hmm. And so there I sort of did put in a little, you know, you make sure that you put in a decent, um, a little bit of a surge as you pass to make sure it's a decisive move um, to try and put in a little bit of a gap. But it was then just after you, the road crossing when we sort of hit those stairs that I was not, not a full on cramp, but you know, just that feeling where you get muscle just sort of holds on a little bit. And I was getting that a little bit in one of my hammies and both of my calves. So I actually, at that point, um, if anything, just dialed it back just a mm-hmm. tiny bit, not, you know, you're not exactly jogging, but, rather than putting the hammer down i sort of made the conscious decision that, okay it's a downhill finish i'm going to purposely hold back just a little bit and if i get caught i then i then it'll, at that point you've got uh you know there's no reason not to then just completely open up but if i i figured if i act if i push too hard now and did cramp and then had to walk a bit then that would obviously blow any lead straight away yeah um yeah, I think I, I mean I think I heard I was ninety seconds or maybe even two minutes up at one point. So Ben obviously clawed away a little bit of that. Yeah. And funnily enough, it was only right at the end with a few hundred meters to go. You know, when you finally hit the concrete path, mm-hmm. there was someone sitting there with a um, cowbell, yeah. and they ring it for me as I go past. And I'm like, great, thanks. Okay, you can see the finish line. Excellent. And then you know, twenty five seconds later, you hear them ringing it again, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> got to go. <laughs> That was, that, that was the first time you realised he was that close to you, the, the cowboy. Yeah, until then I, I thought I had maybe at least a minute. But, yeah, that was sort of like, okay, he's right there. And, you know, it's Ben St. Lawrence. He's got a better finishing kick than me. So I didn't really want us to be uh, anywhere near each other with, uh, you know, the final 100 metres. No, absolutely not. And if anything's going to bring on a cramp, it's a second cowbell 25 seconds later. That's for sure. Yeah, well, at that point, at that point, also twenty seconds, like, well, I'm just going to run through a, yeah, through through any cramp that I've had to do that that before in races where you're like, well, I hope nothing tears, but we've just got to do this. Fun, Sean. Fun, Sean. And um, I, I noticed you resplendent in the hockey gear at the finish line. Um, what what shoes did you choose to use for the race? Uh, I was using the Speedgoat Evos, which yeah, I was really happy with that choice because they've got um the Mega Grip outsole, which I really wanted for going down Nellie's obviously it was well it was a waterfall basically with um yeah all the rain leading up to it so I really wanted that bit of extra grip also the you know it's a bit more cushioning than a lot of what a lot of people use for that race but again as you say a lot of people have beaten up their legs by the time they get to cock so that's why I wanted that little bit of extra cushioning and it's yeah the upper for that one drains water really well which is again the amount of crossings creek crossings that we have was an important factor for me. Perfect. Speaking of the, uh, the initial descent down Nellie's, where, whereabouts in the field were you by the end of that? Were you at the front to start with? Yeah, I was at the front. Yeah, I, I, I was the first on to Nellie's and the first off Nellie's. Okay. Yeah, but how, it wasn't, we weren't, it? yeah, we weren't hammering it. Like it was a bit more conservative because it was so wet and slippery mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, I think, yeah, it was me, David Byrne was right behind me and Ben was just behind him. And yeah, and we were actually chatting a little bit um, going down it that we weren't hammering it too much because it's one of those things, 
you, you take an extra 30 seconds down Nellie's or a minute even, and you've made sure that you don't, didn't, you know, break an ankle or anything like that. And then you've got the other 44 Ks to sort of make up that time. That's and cool. it wasn't, yeah, I don't think it wasn't the sort of day where we're really hammering for a course record or anything like that. It just wasn't the right conditions for that. So it was just more tactical. No, no, it certainly wasn't the, the day for, as we discussed, the heat and humidity. Um, does that play into your, your mind, I guess, in hindsight? Uh, how, how much faster do you think that, that day becomes if it is 15 degrees and 60% humidity? I haven't really thought about it too much. Like it's uh, not a, I mean, that, that's sort of the beauty of racing in general. Like I, that, that's why I prefer racing over time trials that it's mm. not about, yeah. I mean, that's why I sort of moved away from young age from track and road and that, that it, I wasn't quite as interested in seeing, can I do the same thing three seconds faster? Mm. I was more interested in experiencing and exploring and, I, but I still enjoy racing. I love the, sort of how competition is this rising tide that lifts all boats. It brings the best out of each other. Mm. And it is, again, the beauty of competition that you have to get everything right on the day. I think it's that it's, and yeah, it's all about that. Yeah, you you really only get that one shot. It's not, yeah, like a time trial where it's like, okay, we can do the same sort of time trial again the next week or an FKT again, where you get to pick the conditions, you get to make sure everything's perfect. It's, mm. No, you need to be ready to go at 7 a.m. on the whatever the date of the race is. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And there's nothing you get to do about that. No, that's cool. That's exactly right. There's something about it for sure. Pinning that number on makes all the difference. Um, and and in, in your opinion, Six Foot Track organizers did a good job of uh, handling things with the COVID business. Worked well for you. Yeah, certainly. I, I thought it ran really smoothly with all the all the buses and through all the checkpoints and at the finish line and that that it was uh all yeah very well handled. So I I mean I would not want to be an event organizer in these last couple of years. That it's obviously the amount of hoops and that they have to jump through. So it's incredibly impressive any race director that gets to put an event on. And yeah, I think they did a really good job. Yeah, I agree. And thankfully they did it that week, as we were discussing off air, the, uh, the road no longer exists, the Janolan Cave. So, uh, yeah, the the, by the following week with the flooding and that, it wouldn't have, would have been cancelled, which would have been a real shame after it was, yeah, landslides that had it cancelled the year before. And yeah, if it was now, landslides again. So yeah, hopefully they lucky. can get the roads a bit more landslides safe for the future. So shout out to the Blue Mountains Council, state government, et cetera, et cetera. There you go. Um, How's uh how, how's the coaching going in general, Ben? You are you still pushing pushing your charges through. Everyone's pretty pumped to have some races on the agenda. Yeah, I think in general everyone's very excited to be racing again after not so many events in the last twelve months. Um, have athletes sort of around the world now, so that's not uh, in certain regions. That's they're not up to that stage yet of racing, but virtual events are getting increasingly popular in the likes of Hong Kong and that. Um, but yeah, everyone's, I think, pretty excited to be racing enough the last year. And it's going to be interesting to sort of see this year that we've all had a year of just consistent training was whether, um, yeah, everyone sort of can take that bit of a step up after not having that distraction of racing. Yeah, in I agree. Discussed it a bunch of times with some different people, and it's the world's best base training. I think everyone should be in good nick. So, interesting to see what people can do. Um, 
And, and, and in that, on that note, what's uh, on the on the agenda for you now? So Buffalo Stampede next weekend, fingers crossed. Yep. And then Ultra Trail Buff- 100? Yeah, Ultra Trail 100K. Um, and then Brisbane Trail Ultra 100 Miler in um, July. Okay. So second half of the year is sort of is a bit more open for me i would love to get over to the trail world champs in thailand in november um it really is going to depend though on what's possible with travel and that at this stage also the event seems optimistic that it's going ahead as we know though you know you get a spike in cases in the wrong area at the wrong time and these things can change quite rapidly so after btu i'll sort of have a look at see what's yeah, what's looking feasible and may have to reassess. Yeah, okay. That's that's a nice nice progression in distances all the way through, yeah, to, to Brisbane Trail Ultra. Is this your first miler, Ben? Yep. Yeah, so looking forward to it and obviously intimidated by it as well, but it's I'm quite um, excited by the fact that it, it gets to be a local one um, for me, so I get to train on the course and that quite a bit um, and done – run previous editions of it so now it's well organized a really good course and it's exciting it's also now on the spartan world uh championships as well so uh if international travel is possible might be some uh competition flying out for it but you know we'll see with covid you're just racing the clock anyway mate I wouldn't worry too much exactly well and it's my first miler so i'm really is much very much more focused on the process of uh trying to run a good race and worrying too much about the time or finishing position that it's about just, yeah, executing the best race possible and being ready for the fact that first milers rarely go smoothly. No, that's right. Just uh, an, another block in the scientific experiment, Ben Duffus, mate. Exactly. Like, and ultimately I think that's kind of the attitude you've got to take into all races to an extent that every, every challenge is a stepping stone to the next one that, life goes on afterwards and you've got to come at these things with that view of curiosity that if ever any race becomes this be all and end all then um you know you're setting up a failure whether you succeed on the day or not that if it obviously doesn't go well and that was all that mattered was that outcome on the day then you're clearly going to be disappointed but even if it goes fantastically it's like well life's going to go on the following day what are you going to do then what's going to be your motivation to keep getting up and training after that exactly and no one's as excited as you after a good race anyway. So it's all uh, it's all personal stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Well, mate, it sounds like a great program. I'm looking forward to seeing how you look on the top step of the podium at UTA 100, mate. Sexy, of course. <laughs> and, um, we'll yeah, see what we'll happens. Look forward to watching the progress through to the miler, mate. But thank you for talking to us and congratulations on the six-foot victory. It was a stunning race. And uh, certainly don't see that style of... Uh, yeah, racing happen over 45 k's very often, so everyone enjoyed enjoyed that process. It was fantastic. Um, so yeah, good luck with the the, the lockdown and, and um, Buffalo Stampede next week. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. Yeah, yeah.